Let's bow together. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the privilege we have to praise you and worship you together, to um, sing uh, unto you and to hear your word, Lord God. And I pray as we look into your word now, you'd prepare our hearts so that we'd receive it and uh, allow you by your spirit to change us so that we would be more and more like your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this time and commit it to you now in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, obviously, uh, the Christmas season has come upon us, and I consider it right to remind uh, you and to remind myself of the wonderful truths that lay underneath why we celebrate Christmas. And the reality is we can go along and get caught up in all the stuff of Christmas and There's nothing really wrong with those things in and of themselves. But there's something very wrong with those things if we don't uh, keep in mind what is underneath that, which is Christmas is about the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we want to remember that. We want to focus on that. So I want to remind us of that today as we begin our Christmas time messages. And so would you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 25 And we're going to look at the birth of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that God is with us. What a wonderful, wonderful portion. Indeed, again, as I mentioned, I consider it right to remind you. And as I was studying it, you know, in our flesh, we could think, oh, I've heard that before, whatever it might be. But uh, when you look at it again, it never gets old when we see what God has done for us in sending his son Jesus for us. And we need to have that at the forefront of our minds And so uh, let me remind you of the book of Matthew, the context. Matthew is uh, not specifically named as the author, but it's accepted throughout uh, history that he is indeed the author. We know uh, that uh, God ultimately is the author, that he spoke uh, and he brought his word through men. Um, And we have here that Matthew, or Levi, his formal name, he was a tax collector. He was a sinner. And uh, he was called to repentance by Jesus Christ and we see that in Matthew 9, 5 and Luke 5 that Matthew follows the Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask you this question, have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you decided to follow Jesus? He calls us to the gospel to follow him. Well, Matthew did, and then Matthew was used by the Lord to share his word concerning the very Savior he was following. And so here the Gospel of Matthew is actually very Jewish. It contains a myriad of Old Testament uh, quotes, and it serves somewhat as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament, which all the Old Testament scriptures point to Christ. And in Matthew we see it is all about Christ. Now Matthew is the presentation of Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. And not only is it his presentation, but with that presentation we have the teaching concerning the kingdom of Uh, the kingdom of the king, King Jesus. This book is about Jesus Christ, the king, and his kingdom. Yet it is also about the rejection of Jesus Christ and the opposition brought to the Jews, which God would use uh, that, that evil to bring about his will in which his son would go to the cross and die for our sins. Now, earlier in chapter 1, we see in verse 1 that Matthew is about Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. We see that Jesus Christ fulfills the Davidic covenant. He is in the line of David in which there would be a king on the throne forever. He also fulfills the Abrahamic covenant that in Abraham's seed, singular, there would be a one who would, in through all the nations, one in whom through all the nations would be blessed. So then we have the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, uh, this, this uh, wonderful uh, picture here as we see of what God has done in sending his son for us. And then we see this, geneal- this genealogy actually before our passage where we see gene- Jesus' genealogy on Joseph's side, which proves he has the rightful legal right to the heir, be the heir of the throne of David. Also, we see he is uh, also the Lord who saves. So with this in mind, let's take a look at the Christmas story from the book of Matthew, where we're going to see 
the birth of Jesus Christ, and the result, God with us. Verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, was not wanting to disgrace her, not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. So here we have, first of all, in verse 18, this passage is about the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Now, we certainly have information about the birth of Christ in uh, the book of Luke. We have information uh, about God taking on human flesh, uh, we see in the book of John. But here we have very specifically now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Was as follows. This is what God wants us to know about the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, before we get into this, and we'll see this later on, but we need to understand the name Jesus. And most of us do understand it, but that is the Lord's human name. It is the name that he would receive and be called after he was born. It is the Lord's human name. And Jesus is a transliteration of the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua, which means Yahweh, that's the Lord, the I Am, is salvation. Yahweh saves. That's his name. When you think of Jesus, it means the I Am saves. The I am saves. That's what Jesus means. And so we have that, and then we have the term Christ, which is a title. It's the equivalent to the Hebrew term Messiah, which meant anointed one. And it pointed to the one who was anointed to be the king of kings and lord of lords. He would be on the throne of David. And certainly Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. And so our passage is about the Lord who is salvation, who is the king of kings and lord of lords. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. And notice, we see that Mary was found to be with child. Look at verse verse 18, middle of it. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. The birth of Jesus is as follows. Here we go. Notice, first of all, it says, when his mother... When his mother, we need to recognize that Jesus's mother is Mary. Jesus's mother is Mary. And it says her had been betrothed to Joseph. Now, we may be familiar of, uh, you know, the the idea of engagement before marriage, but the betrothal was very Jewish. It had to do with uh, a period of time, which we'll see, in which uh, there was an agreement made between two parties or two persons uh, to come together in marriage, and that betrothal period was that period in which was before the actual marriage itself. So the marriage had two stages. It had the betrothal and then the wedding itself. And so with this, we see that usually the betrothal period was about 12 months, could be shorter, but it's important because this period was a period of time for protection for both parties, protection for both the husband and the wife, in which the fidelity of the wife would be proven. Obviously, if someone got pregnant within 12 months, it would become obvious, and you would see that. Now, we see the Apostle Paul, and I've shared this before, and I love looking at this because it's so important. Because it gives us insight into what God is doing right now with us. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says concerning the Corinthians. He says, I wish that you would bear me with me a little foolishness. Now we're studying this on Wednesday nights. Remember, he's defending himself from all the false attacks. And obviously he's being called foolish. So he's saying, hey, bear with me a little foolishness. He's being sarcastic in a sense. But indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you, 2 Corinthians 11:2, with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, that is to Christ, that I might present you as a pure virgin. We get an idea of the picture here. He says it, but I'm afraid lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and a purity of a devotion to Christ. He's saying, metaphorically, I arranged your marriage to Christ. I brought you the truth. I brought you the truth about your supposed salvation. But I'm concerned that during this period, you're not a pure virgin, that Satan has led you astray in a sense, that you haven't been faithful. 
And if you think about it, we have not entered into the marriage of the Lamb yet. We are in that betrothal period as believers. And God is testing the fidelity of those who claim His name. If they're going to go after other things, or if they're going to be faithful to Him before this marriage. And obviously, true believers will be faithful. But there are those who think they are believers who will end up showing their real colors during this period on earth as they follow other things rather than Christ. So then we have the idea of the betrothal and protection, a period of time, and then there is the wedding. And that betrothal betrothal period ends gloriously at that point. As the husband arrives, the woman is presented as the beautiful virgin bride to her husband. They are married, and then they consummate the marriage. So Mary and Joseph had entered into this binding contract. They were betrothed. Now, the betrothal took place in the later, latter teen years. Most likely, Mary was a a young woman. And we know from Scripture that she was a godly young woman. You You look out in our society these days, there's a lot of ungodly young women. Just go on Instagram and YouTube and there, and they're all over the place. Ungodly young women throughout uh, those who do not fear God but uh, flaunt themselves in a sense. Uh, Mary was not like that. Mary was a godly woman. Mary was a godly young woman. Do you remember her response to the angel Gabriel's declaration that she would become pregnant by the Holy Spirit uh, or conceive, excuse me, conceive by the Holy Spirit and bring forth a Savior? Uh, Luke chapter 1. Turn there, Luke chapter 1. This is Mary's response. This is not the response of, of, of the type of people we see today that need, desperately need Christ, by the way. We're not throwing out those people where we, they need Christ, but we recognize they're not godly. But Mary was. Uh, and, but yet she was a sinner too. Don't forget that. She needed a savior. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. She knew the Lord, by the way. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. If anyone ever lies to you and tells you that Mary was sinless, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Mary needed a Savior, and she acknowledges that. Just as every single human being who has ever been born, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, who took on human flesh, everyone needs a Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and his and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon the generation upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Now, certainly the Lord God spoke that through, by his spirit, through Mary at scripture, but Mary had to know about it. She had to understand that she was a godly Woman, her soul exalted the Lord God, her Savior. So as we're going to see, Mary was godly and she had kept herself a virgin. We'll see that. But what about Joseph? What do we know about him? Well, earlier in chapter 1, we know he's in the line of David. Uh, we know from Scripture, Matthew thirteen fifty-five, he uh, was a carpenter. We know that Mary and Joseph were probably not that wealthy uh, later on um, because they took when they took Jesus when he was uh, just uh, a few days old to the or took him to the temple on the eighth day. They offered a pair of turtle doves. That meant they were probably pretty poor. Luke two twenty four. Also, they both came from Nazareth. Nazareth was not the rich high end um, uh, place in in Israel at this time. It was not the wealthiest area of Israel. And also in our passage, we will see today that the Lord calls him a righteous. Man, a righteous man. So then, back in our passage. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Before they had come together. This is really important. 
Luke makes it very clear that Joseph was engaged to a virgin, and that word means just that. Mary was kept a virgin until after Jesus was born. Take a look back in Luke again, back in Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We'll look at this in more depth later on, but we're just going to touch on it now because our passage touches on it. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, later on, when she is told that she's going to conceive, look down at verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And then we see how God will do it. And we'll look at that intent in a little more in depth later on. So then, they had not come together, but notice, before they had come together, she, back in our passage, was found to be with child. Now, we know in the Gospel of Luke that she was informed by the angel. She was informed that she would conceive. Back in Luke again, I'm going to read this here, Luke 1.28. And coming into her, he said, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? The most, and, and uh, the angel said to her, answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Pretty amazing. And so here we have that she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a glorious thing that we're going to see, uh, but it's difficult to wrap our heads around. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And it's speaking of the conception of Jesus in the womb of a virgin by means of the Holy Spirit. And from our viewpoint, that is impossible. But we see even God says, for all things are possible with God. The reality is that God brought this forth. This is how God the Son, the eternal Son of God, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God the Son took on human flesh. And by the way, on a side note, the virgin conception and birth is not a negotiable piece of doctrine because it is the means in which God took on human flesh and to take away from that uh, takes away the reality of the fact that God took on human flesh. God took on human flesh. So she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So back to our passage. So what's going on here? She was found to be with child. This is a maybe a problem here. Notice what happens here, verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. Uh-oh, Mary, how can this be? This is during this time in which she is to be found without child. She's to be found pure and to be a virgin. And yet she has uh, been found to be pregnant. She has been found with, chi- with child. This, uh, this must have been an agonizing thing for Joseph, being a righteous man, finding out that his, his, uh, his uh, wife to be, or his wife literally in the betrothal period, but his, uh, his wife had been uh, before the marriage, she was pregnant. Obviously, this is very difficult. And notice it says, even Joseph, her husband, again, that betrothal period was as good as Marriage, it was the first step there. It was You, you had to get a divorce if you were uh, betrothed and something went on. So then we see here Joseph being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desire to put her away secretly. He's got a dilemma. He's got a dilemma. And so what does the scripture say? Joseph being a righteous man. 
A righteous man is one who is righteous because of a relationship with the living God, a relationship with the son of righteousness, the one who brings righteousness. And righteous men of the Old Testament are those who by faith believed in the Lord and they believed in the provision that would come at the cross, looking towards the cross as we look back. They believed and therefore they were righteous in standing, but also when you are, have a relationship with the Lord, you begin to reveal that righteousness in your actions. He was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. And then notice we have two participles describing him, being righteous, continuing habitually, second, not wanting to disgrace her. Being righteous, and along with that, not wanting to disgrace her. Joseph is not only a righteous man, he is a merciful man. Joseph could have gotten mad at Mary, and he could have said, forget you, Mary, and he could have had a public trial, and she would have been brought to trial, convicted and shamed. He could have done that. He could have done that. And that would have been a legal response based on God's law. He could have done that. But the other possibility would be for her to send, for him to send her away to divorce her secretly, like we see in Deuteronomy 24, uh, the provision of sending away privately, giving her a certificate of divorce. So Joseph here, not wanting to disgrace her. What a man. He finds out his, uh, his wife, his betrothed wife, is pregnant. And he doesn't want to disgrace her, but he has to do the right thing according to the word of God. He has to do the right thing. So he's agonizing over this. He he desired to put her away secretly. That was his option in the context of righteousness and mercy and kindness. So that's Joseph's initial response. But what is God's response? What is God's response? Verse 20. But when he had considered this, that's exactly what we just spoke of, putting her away uh, uh, with a certificate of divorce uh, secretly in a sense, behold, take a look, pay attention, an angel the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she shall bear she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins." So as Joseph is pondering and considering this action, evidently he falls asleep. He falls asleep. Now maybe some of you are falling asleep right now. I'll just wake you up. But uh, Joseph falls asleep, right? He falls asleep. And what happens? God is gracious. In contrast to Joseph's righteous desires, based on his merciful heart, in a sense, uh, God sends an angel to give Joseph the straight scoop. He says here, when he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord. Now, not the angel of the Lord. The Old Testament, that's the messenger of the Lord. That speaks of the Lord himself. But here, an angel of the Lord speaks of an angelic messenger. It's an angelic being. And it appeared to him in a dream, saying. Now, before we get into what the angel tells Joseph, we need to recognize that all of this is in the context of a dream Uh, But yet the angel does speak to him. It is real. The angel does speak to him. It's not something Joseph is imagining. It's not from the type of dreams we have that our, our minds make up when we're sleeping. This is real, but it's in a dream. The angel did appear to him. It wasn't his imagination. It was true. And the angel here appears to him and speaks to him in the context of a dream, as we'll see. Now, we know from Hebrews chapter 1 that God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, has spoke, these last days, has spoken to us through his son. When God was revealing his revelation, he revealed it in bits and pieces, part after part, bits and pieces, in many different ways, all kinds of different ways, including dreams. And then once Christ came, we have the completed revelation that God wanted to bring forth concerning Christ, as we now have in the scriptures. So then, this angel appears to uh, Joseph in a dream. And it is the messenger of the Lord. And so what, is this, what does this uh, messenger say? But when he had considered this, verse 20, Behold, an angel of the Lord had appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid or do not fear 
Uh, be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Just in the nick of time, Joseph is ready to uh, put her away secretly. It's about to happen. He dozes off, and God intervenes. And God intervenes. And notice he says to him, Joseph, son of David. Interesting title, isn't it? Here we see God's perspective of Joseph. He is in the line of David. He is Joseph's legal father and thus entitles Jesus to be the king of the Jews. So as the angel say, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. This is just in the nick of time. God intervenes and stops. Now I find this incredibly encouraging because when you are a righteous man or woman, and you are trusting the Lord and you are doing it, the only thing you know from the word to do, and you're trusting the Lord, stepping forward, God is faithful to intervene and give more revelation, now for us, through his word, when we need it at the right time. And right at the right time, Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, is God gives more revelation to Joseph concerning the circumstances and more instruction. I find it encouraging. Brother and sister, trust the Lord. Plan your way, but in the context of committing your ways to the Lord. Step out in obedience, and he will direct your steps. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. God is faithful. If you're walking with him, trusting and obeying, immersed in his word, he's going to direct you. And it's going to be right in the nick of time. He's going to take care of you. And how many times has he done that for us? For me, many, 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 many times. He's absolutely faithful. Absolutely faithful. So we see God intervene in a great example of his, uh, his care and love. He intervenes and he stops Joseph. And he tells her basically to marry Mary, right? Do not fear to take her as your wife. Don't put her away, but marry her, Joseph. And then notice we have an explanation. An explanation is that God is taking on human flesh to save people from their sins. Wow. For that, explanation here, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus For it is he who shall save or will save his people from their sins. Wow! What an amazing thing when you just trust the Lord, how he uses us. And how he is going to use Joseph and Mary here. A tremendous privilege and blessing for them. A tremendous, wonderful reality. He says, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, it's not from any man. She didn't mess around beforehand. You don't need to put her away, Joseph. That which is conceived in her is not of any man, but it is of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. That is the means in which God the Son became human flesh. Again, back in Luke. Turn to Luke chapter 1 again. Luke chapter 1. Verse 31. And I was studying this, uh, and just look at the marvel of the reality of this. The marvel of the humility of our God to become like us. The marvel of this, along with not, not just that, but also what he did for us. Luke one thirty one. And behold, you will conceive, this is the angel speaking to Mary, in your womb, and you shall bear a son, you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his David, one of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? And here God, through the angel, explains. The Most High will overshadow you. It means to shadow over, to come over you in a sense. And uh, for this reason, or excuse me, the Spirit of the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will, over, will shadow you. And for this reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Because God is the one making it happen. God is the one who brought about the conception of his Son, Jesus, God the Son, taking on human flesh. 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for this reason, the Holy Offspring shall be called the Son of God. Mary, because of this, your son shall be called God. The Son of God. He's God. Is this not what the Scriptures reveal? John 1.1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being by Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians 1.19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of deity to dwell in him. That's speaking of Jesus. Colossians 2.9, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Bodily form. So then, the virgin conception is the means in which God took on human flesh. And it's absolutely clear that this child conceived was of the Holy Spirit, not of Joseph, but of the Holy Spirit. Fully human, fully God, as we'll see. And indeed, if uh, it was not fully God, if he was not fully God and fully man, he could not be the Savior of the world. He could not be the Savior of the world, but he is. We need to understand, no matter what someone says, that the virgin conception is an absolutely mandatory thing to believe. Because it points to the deity of God who took human flesh. And if someone doesn't believe it, they say, well, I believe it spiritually speaking. They always say that. All these, uh, these dead denominations say, I believe in the virgin birth or virgin conception, spiritually speaking. That means they don't believe in it. They don't believe in the reality of it. They don't believe in the reality of it. And if they don't believe in it, they are probably not saved because Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. They hear. And if you're a believer and you hear that, you go, yeah, of course, I believe it. God says it. So now notice, not only does our passage point to the fact that Jesus is God, it also points to the fact that he is fully man. Back to our passage, end of 20. For that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, And she will bear a son. You see, Jesus was literally born of a woman. Galatians 4.4, but in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. This is the miracle of Christmas. It is the incarnation, God the Son taking on human flesh. That is what Christmas is about. God the Son taking on human flesh to save us. From our sins. When we think of Christmas, we need to think of that. Because that's what it's about. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he came into the world, took on human flesh, by the way. He says, sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. Tremendous. There's a conversation, Hebrews 10, between the Father and the Son. A conversation about doing his will and about taking on human flesh. A body thou hast prepared for me. He says, In whole born offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. Come, and the, uh, the Son of God speaking. In the book of the roll, it's written to me to do thy will, O God. Then Hebrews 10.10, 10, By this will, coming and taking on human flesh and dying for our sins, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. She will bear a son. She will bear a son. And you shall call him Jesus. This is his name. This is his name. We talked about it before, the term Jesus. It's his human name. It is a transliteration of Yeshua, Joshua. It means Yahweh is salvation, or Yahweh says. The term Yahweh is the term I am. It's the first person uh, uh, tense of the verb to be in Hebrew, which means I am. When Moses asked uh, the Lord to who he would tell the people he was sending him, the Lord said, Yahweh at Yahweh. I am who I am. The I am is sending, the self-existent one. And here, the term Jesus means the self-existent, the I am, the sovereign God 
is salvation. You shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You shall name him Jesus. And then let's keep reading in verse 21. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And why? This is so important. For it is he, God, who will take on human flesh, Jesus, who will save his people from their sins. You see, we need saving. We need saving. We need saving not from lives we don't like and want better lives. We need savings from our sin. You see, the wages of sin is death. You see, there is a penalty for sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, not even one. You see, the wages, as I mentioned, of sin is death. There is death. There is separation from God. And then there's the second death, eternal separation, in punishment for sin. And we need to be saved from that. And so, she will bear a son. You shall call him Jesus, for it is he who shall save his people from their sins. We need saving from sin. We need saving from sin. You see, the Lord God makes it clear, Ezekiel 18.4, Behold, all souls are mine. He owns you all. He owns you no matter how rebellious you are. He owns you. And the soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son are mine. The soul that sins will die. The soul that sins will die. You see, God is a righteous judge, and he will judge sinners. He must judge sinners. He's a holy God. He's a holy God. But not only is God a righteous judge, he's a gracious God who sent his son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. When we trust in Jesus, we trust in the Lord who saves. We trust in Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about, the Lord of salvation. And we're just coming into the season and it'll go by so fast. But it's about Jesus. And we need to be reminded. You see, he bore the penalty for our sins on the cross. And he died for our sins. And God was satisfied with his, with his sacrifice. He's not satisfied with us. He's satisfied with Jesus. And when you trust in Jesus, then you receive his righteousness and you are forgiven. You're cleansed. 1 John 2, and he himself, speaking of Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, the satisfaction. Not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. The offer is for all. Scripture is clear that salvation comes in no one else. Acts chapter 4.12, 10, 4.10, let it be known to all of you, the people, the people of Israel, that by the name of Christ Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, Christ the Nazarene, Jesus Christ the Nazarene, you crucified whom God raised from the dead by this name. This man stands before you in good health. He had just uh, brought him up, not from the dead, but healed him. He is the stone which was rejected by you, Acts 4.11, the builders, by which is, became the very cornerstone. Chat, verse 12, this is what I want to get to. Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by, mu- by which we must be saved. It is through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the right Jesus, there are other Jesuses out there. There's the Jesus of the Mormons, the Jesus of the Jehovah Witnesses. That's not the Jesus of Scripture. The real Jesus is God, the Son, who took on human flesh and died for our sins. And it is in his name alone that there is salvation and she will bear a son and you shall call his name jesus for it is he who will save his people from their sins what an incredible reality that we must think about ponder at look at remember and praise god for so then we've seen joseph is betrothed to mary and she was pregnant And Joseph, being a righteous man, desired to put her away secretly, but God, through the angel, intervened and commands him to take Mary as his wife because the child is of the Holy Spirit. He is God, and this child who is God will become flesh. God will become flesh, and you shall name him Jesus 
because he is the Lord who saves. He is the one who saves us from our sins. From our sins. Now notice in our passage, we have an explanation. Look at verse 22. Now all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled back in Matthew uh, 122. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and she shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. He says, now all this took place that that which was spoken through the, through, by the Lord through the prophet. You see, no prophet spoke on their own unless they're a false prophet. The prophets who were the Lord's prophets spoke the Lord's words. The Lord spoke through the prophet. You see, no prophecy of some scripture is of one's own interpretation, but men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. First, Second Peter 1, 21. And so here we have a quote of Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. She shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now turn to Isaiah 7.14. We're going to look at that also. It's in the middle of your Bibles. Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Now, here, this term virgin means virgin. It means just that. And here we have the reality that prophecy is fulfilled. Prophecy is fulfilled in what Jesus did for us. You see, the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in Christ. Isaiah, excuse me, Luke chapter 24, 25, and he said, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe. This is Jesus speaking to those disciples on the road to Emmaus after he rose. All that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things, to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And back in Isaiah, we have this prophecy now fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1. Now, I understand the first part. The virgin will bear a child, bearing a son. We understand that. That's fulfilled in Matthew but what about this second part of this prophecy? And they shall call his name <coughs> Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. What about this? What about this? What does this mean? Well, notice what he says here. He says they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now, first of all, we don't see anywhere in Scripture, anywhere where anyone actually calls Jesus Emmanuel. There's not one place. There's not one place. So what is he talking about here? They shall call his name Emmanuel. Who is the they? Is it Mary and Joseph? Is it those who have been saved from their sins? Who is it? <coughs> now, I can't be exactly sure in the context but what I do know for certain, it's not unbelievers calling him God with us. We know that. For God is not with them. <coughs> they are, as Paul would say, separate from Christ, Ephesians 2.12, having no hope and without God in the world. God is not with them. No matter what you think, you're still in your sins and separate from Christ if you have not trusted in him for salvation. You see, the wages of sin is death. Is death. And if you die in your sin, you will be eternally separated from, from God. God will never be with you. He never approves of what you're doing. He's not with you. You're separated from him. If you die in your sins, this will happen to you. And what I'll read in Revelation chapter 20. Turn to Revelation 20. Revelation 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence all heaven and earth fled away, and there was no place found for them. Remember, uh, we studied Revelation, that the old heavens and earth had, were gone. And in between that time, before the new heavens and earth, there's a judgment. And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened, another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds, and the sea gave up the dead which were in them, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged 
every one of them according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The book of life is those whose names are written there are those who have overcome. Chapter 3, Revelation. And those who have overcome, 1 John 5, are those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We overcome sin and death through faith in Jesus Christ. And so then, it's not non-believers. So who is it that will call him Emmanuel, God with us? Well, it's my view that it's not speaking simply of the incarnation where God dwelt among for 33 years. God did dwell among them for 33 years. I believe my view is it's speaking of the result of the incarnation, which is because Jesus Christ saved his people from their sins, he is now with those whom he has saved forever. He shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew chapter 28, the Lord Jesus shares with his disciples. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13.5, let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself, that's speaking the Lord, has said, I will never desert you. I will never forsake you. So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Separation from God because of sin was broken because God took on human flesh and died for our sins. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Let me ask you this. Is God with you? Or are you separate from him, having no hope without God in the world? Are you still in your sins? Then you're separate from Christ. But the good news is God took on human flesh. And his name is Jesus. The Lord is salvation. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. Tremendous. So we see here this uh, prophecy fulfilled. But notice we also have another uh, portion in our scripture. And let's finish up. Let's turn back to Matthew uh, 1 and look at verse 24. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took her as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Joseph is in the midst of a big trial. Joseph uh, doesn't get up from the uh, sleepy nap he had and think, hmm, what should I do? Maybe I should talk to a rabbi. Maybe I should get help with this situation. What should I do? Maybe I should get counseling. No. Joseph has been given clear instruction like we have in so many areas, and he just obeys. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel Lord commanded him and took her as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And I'm so amazed at times looking in Scripture at how little revelation people had that they obeyed. We have so much truth that God has given us on whom the end of the ages have fallen. And yet there are those examples for us who had very little revelation and they obeyed the Lord. And they are examples for us to trust and obey the Lord. Trust and obey the Lord. Joseph was a righteous man because of Christ, and he obeyed, and he obeyed. Well, we've seen Joseph's dilemma. His wife-to-be is pregnant, but it was a child from the Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit, and Joseph desired to put her away secretly. But God intervened in the dream, pointing out the great truth that God is taking on human flesh in Mary's womb. Don't fear, but marry Mary. Because God is taking on human flesh to save his people from their sins. 
And this points to the prophecy that was fulfilled. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. That's the Christian story. Mankind is separate from God. He is not with mankind because of sin. But he is with us when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. God took on human flesh for us. Let's not forget, brothers and sisters, let's not forget as we go into this season. Now, friend, can you say based on this declaration, God is with you? Has the gulf between you and God been uh, bridged through Christ? Has your sin been covered? On what basis do you say so? It is only through the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ that one can be saved. Some of you are without God and without hope, and today is the day of salvation. Cry out to the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, save me. I believe you're God who took on human flesh. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Save me. He'll save you. And then for those of us who have been saved, have you forgotten on a practical basis that God is with you? He'll never leave you nor forsake you. That because of Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with the living God forever. Forever. Our sins have been forgiven. We are with him and will be with him forever. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your son Jesus who took on human flesh and died for us. Thank you for the good news of the gospel we've heard over and over again today. I pray for anyone here who is not saved or anyone listening, that today would be the day of salvation, that today would be the day they acknowledge their sin and turn to Jesus and cry out, save me, Lord Jesus, from their heart of hearts. And for those of us who know you, Lord, may we be so thankful that you are with us because your son Jesus and what he did for us, that the sin gap has been taken care of, that our sins are forgiven, and that you'll never leave us now nor forsake us. Lord, I pray for opportunities for each and every one of us this Christmas season to share the good news, the good news of your son Jesus, that we would be ready to do so. We would not be surprised by the opportunities you provide, but we'd be ready. We pray for open doors. And may our hearts not become hardened and uh, selfish. May we stay focused on why we celebrate this Christmas season. Because of your son Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.